Hello, everyone. It's your girl, Britta. And welcome to my new podcast, You Britta Vote. On this podcast, I kiki with activists, organizers, and elected officials about all things political. From voting to climate change to LGBTQIA plus equality, baby, my guest and I will spill the tea on what is happening in the current political landscape and how you can make your voices heard on the issues. As a note, Drag Out the Vote, for which I am the national co-chair, is a partisan nonprofit. So my work there is strictly nonpartisan. But in this podcast, baby, I am speaking from my own personal opinions. So get ready for some unfiltered tea. Let's get into it. Hit it. Today, we will be talking to Chase Strangio. Chase is a lawyer and transgender rights activist. He is a staff attorney with the ACLU working to combat anti-trans legislation being proposed in states across the country. In November 2019, he was awarded the American Bar Association's Commission on Sexual Orientation and Gender Identities 2020 Stonewall Award. And he was one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World in 2020. Please welcome to the stage, Trey Strangio. Are you registered? Because you should be. Fill that ballot out. It's a voting spree. Put that mask on. Don't touch me. Ain't gonna let voting like shush me. We decide who's in the house on the hill. House on the hill. Putting stamps on the bill. We unite to the fight to make America gay. So the American slave, the American way. You better vote. You better vote. You better vote. Now you better vote. Hello, everyone out there. Listen, I am so honored. I am here with Chase Strangio. Now, listen, Chase, uh, listen, without people like you, uh, we would not be making the advances that we need to make as a community. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that I've been given this platform through Drag Race to amplify the incredible hard work that you've been doing. Um, I've been following you on social media for quite a while now. And uh, you truly just keep everyone informed you're doing incredible hard work. I know how busy you are. So truly, I am just so honored that you're sitting down to to get the good word out to these these the youth of America here on You Brita Votes. Now, I you're with your position at the ACLU. Um, you're fighting nationwide for for civil rights and especially, uh, particularly for our, our trans siblings. Um, and I want just want to know to give people a kind of a context. How did you get into this work. Well, so first, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Thank you for all you're doing. I, you know, I do think that one of the things I love about doing legal advocacy, being a lawyer is engaging in conversations around cultural production and art and finding ways to engage because we, none of us can work in isolation. So I'm really grateful for this, for this conversation. I, yeah, so I'm a lawyer at the ACLU. I've been at the ACLU for eight and a half years. And really so much of my work focuses on how to use the law and how to use my skills that I've had the privilege of developing over time to try to minimize the harms of our legal system, particularly in the ways that they harm our LGBTQ plus community. I, you know, I went, I went to law school you know, not sure exactly how I was planning to to use the, the degree because I had a lot of doubts about can we even use law to really bring about positive change when the system itself is so harmful. But I was able to, you know, develop the skills 
through law school and then work at a smaller organization called the Sylvia Rivera Law Project um, in New York, focusing on direct services and organizing with the trans and non-binary community in New York State, and then have for the last eight and a half years focused nationally through my work at the ACLU, filing cases in court, um, working to stop you know, mostly anti-trans legislation that we've seen, particularly over the last five years at the state level. And then also thinking about, well, what does it mean to have bigger, larger conversations about our community that aren't just about visibility, that aren't just about tokenization, but about how to expand opportunities for material survival. And so that's sort of how I orient myself and and how I got here. You're truly, to me, you are, you are the LGBTQ plus superhero. I say this when literally, I'm so, I was so shook when I, when I was preparing for this because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to talk to Chase. This is such a big deal because, you know, I don't get gagged by celebrities. You know, when I, when I was on Drag Race, the biggest person that like shook me when I was there was, was AOC. I was like, oh my God, like I, I respect the work that you're doing. So truly it is, is such an honor. And I'm so, you, you're doing the damn work for all of us. And it, it just, it, it, it really warms my heart and I'm so grateful. Thank you. All right. So. Uh, as you were saying, in 2021, this past year, we've seen an unprecedented number of attacks on our trans siblings, and a vast majority of states have proposed and or passed anti-trans laws, and they've targeted trans female athletes in particular, primarily teenagers. Um, can you tell us what is behind these laws and 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 how we can fight back uh, to these there's so many lies and so much misinformation that's being spread about trans folk that isn't true and it's particularly towards the athletes yeah we're i mean in some ways it's like we're truly living in a nightmare moment where you've had a lot of backlash over the last 5 years in particular that that has led to this moment so in 20 20- 2015, the Supreme Court, in a case called Obergefell, struck down the remaining bans on marriage uh, equality for same-sex couples. So that was sort of like, oh, yay, gay marriage, legal everywhere. But of course, what, you know, we had not, at least as a mainstream LGBT movement, invested in our trans community um, in the time that we were fighting for marriage equality and, and, and sort of fighting for other legal rights that largely benefited cis, you know, gay and lesbian people, particularly cis white gay and lesbian people. And then all of a sudden we get this big Supreme Court decision, but there was a huge backlash. And so you start to see at the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, all of the resources that had gone into stopping gay people from getting married were leveraged entirely on trans people. And this is when you saw in 2016 the bathroom bills that were popping up everywhere. A lot of them focused on trans kids in schools and the notion that the anti-LGBT right, people who have long used this moralistic panic about the threat of queerness, we're going to use the specter of the trans body to reincite this fear of queerness after marriage equality. And so you have, you know, between 2016 and 2020, for the duration of the Trump administration, or leading in the end of the Obama administration, duration of the Trump administration, a real fixation on targeting trans people. But with the bathroom, it sort of had a boom in 2016 and then fizzled. Yeah. And and there were a lot of reasons for that, but we were able to counteract that narrative. But what happened was, for a lot of reasons, they were able to pivot to a 
attacking trans kids in sports and attacking healthcare for trans minors. And one of the main reasons that they were able to do that is because the global anti-trans discourse really expanded. And so this is when you think about what's going on in the UK with, you know, all the anti-trans rhetoric coming out from JK Rowling and others with a huge platform. And and that sort of migrating into US politics, although a lot of the money comes from the US and all of the anti-LGBT discourse globally, um, you know, we really see this rhetoric coming in and in 2019, in you know the midst of the Trump administration, there's a, a lot of money, a lot of organizing around how to push laws that take away rights from trans kids, mm-hmm. and in so doing, talk about trans people as inherently harmful. And that's what we're really seeing in 2021, where the notion of the, particularly the trans misogynistic discourse of the trans girl as threat um, has become so prevalent. And this focus on sports is part of what we see a lot of the time. It was also true in bathrooms that we're going to control the bodies of anyone who is seen as outside the gender binary under the rubric and guise of protecting women and children. And we know it's false. Um, You know, you don't help women as a group by harming some women. And you certainly don't advance women's sports by banning the three trans people who are playing sports. Um, It's not what it's about, but there's this reflexive misogynistic discourse that it fits right very nicely into. And now what we're seeing is through a focus on healthcare, through a focus on sports, both are are areas that are so deeply tied to the body and trans people. We pose such a threat to people's notions of the stability of the of the sex binary. And that's, you know, that's very upsetting to people. And so, you know, leveraging that sort of reflexive anxiety in the public conversation, there has been this focus on, you know, the quote unquote threat of trans people in sports or healthcare for trans young people. And unfortunately, we don't have enough allies. We don't have enough co-conspirators. And in 2021, 10 states have banned, in one way or another, trans kids from sports. That is just devastating. It's devastating for many reasons. But I will say first, it's devastating because, you know, for the few trans kids who actually aren't already so discriminated against, they find a home in sport, yeah. whatever they might be, they lose that. And then also it sends a message just generally to all trans people that, you know, we aren't who we say we are, that we shouldn't be honored and trusted. And and that is very much a part of what we're seeing right now in this conversation. Now, I, I completely agree with you. I, I know that there's a lot of uh, trans youth that listen to this podcast and, uh, you know, it, tr- it really breaks my heart to know that that they've gone through this and it, it's demoralizing, it's, it's invalidating their existence. What would you say to to trans youth who are, are seeing this happen right in front of them? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the hardest things is like, you know, you have these young people who are just trying to live their lives. And then the government officials who are supposed to represent them are spending all of this time and effort demonizing these incredible, beautiful trans young people. Um, So I would say first and foremost, like so much love for any young person who knows exactly who they are when the world is telling them they can't be that. I mean, I did not, you know, in high school have any idea who I was. I couldn't like find my way like, you know, across the street, let alone into some sense of self. So love to all the trans people who are who are in who are growing up and are so you know, certain of who they are, that they're willing to stand up against all of this discrimination that they should never have to. And I would say, you know, that we are going to keep fighting. And 
we have such a long, beautiful lineage of trans people who have taught us that we will always find ways to care for our communities. I mean, that's a beautiful thing about queerness, about transness. It's like, we come from beautiful queer and trans people who taught us how to survive. Um, and we were never going to let go of those lessons. And that's going to be true now. But it, it must be so painful to have to contend with all of these things. And sure, there's more visibility, but there's also more meanness, there's more harassment. And and I just I hate that anyone has to has to experience that. And, you know, we're, we're going to keep filing lawsuits, we're going to keep fighting against these bills. But also people should know that they shouldn't they shouldn't have to do this. Yeah, it, it's not right. And even if we win all of the lawsuits in court, it's not fair that anyone should be exposed to this type of harmful dehumanizing conversation or have to yeah go through that at all. It's 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 incredible. Now, the uh, a huge worry that I have also, in, in addition, is voting rights. Now, with a combination of these anti-trans bills and, and these incredible voting suppression laws that are going through, um, there's a mass, mass majority of states that are hindering a trans person's right to vote. Uh, so can you discuss like the, the challenges that trans folks uh, have in exercising their rights to vote? I mean, yeah. So first, like big picture, like the formation, like we have to, when we're thinking about the law, we have to sort of start from the reminder that our entire constitutional framework was set up to maintain a system of chattel slavery. It is a white supremacist system at its core that has, you know, sought to disenfranchise particularly black people, particularly other people of color, particularly all women over and over. And that is unfortunately what we are always contending with with our legal system. And in in 2013, which the very same week that the Supreme Court struck down the Defense of Marriage Act, which was a, a horrible federal law that restricted marriage protections for same-sex couples, and that was seen as this major victory for LGBT people, the same week they did that, they also issued a decision in a case called Shelby County versus Holder. That was a case that ended up striking down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. And Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act you know, was designed to protect the fundamental right to vote and had a requirement that had a history of voter suppression and a history of particularly efforts to disenfranchise Black voters. They had to clear all of their voting laws with the federal government. In 2013, that was abolished by the United States Supreme Court in a decision written by Chief Justice Roberts. Since then, states have systematically chipped away at the right to vote, in particularly in ways that disenfranchise Black voters and other voters of color. And you can say state after state has done this. And between 26, 2013 and 2016, this ha happened in, you know, in massive ways that led to the election of President Trump in 2016. Yeah. So the voter suppression laws have been instrumental in the rise of the far right wing of the Republican Party. Now, I think what we're seeing is sort of in the 2021 legislative sessions, the things that states are targeting the most are trans people and the right to vote. And both are based on a false premise of voter fraud, which is not real, and the threat of trans people, which is also not real. And so lots of people are harmed by this type of disenfranchisement of the right to vote. The 
additional truth is that trans people have a, a lot of difficulties accessing the ballot for a number of different reasons. So first, you know, a lot of the ways in which voter disenfranchisement has happened has been through voter ID laws. And lots mm-hmm. of trans people don't have access to identification, don't have access to identification that matches who they are. And because of that are either, you know, chilled from voting in that they don't want to go vote because they don't want to show their ID or they try to vote and they are told they can't vote. And and so there are all of these ways in which all trans people have their vote suppressed. And even, you know, for me in New York City, which does not have any voter ID laws, you're supposed to walk in and be able to vote. The last time I went to vote or, you know, one of the more recent times I went to vote, I was asked for ID. And I was asked if I was the person on my ID. Um, and all of this, even if, you know, I'm a lawyer, I was like, no, you can't do this. But those types of encounters really, really discourage people from voting. And the more obstacles we put in place, the more likely it is that people won't vote. Yeah. And that is unfortunately what we're going to be seeing more and more of because we've seen in states, particularly like Texas, like Florida, like Georgia, like Alabama, like Mississippi have passed these incredibly egregious voter suppression laws this session. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy um, that 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 all of this stuff is passing. I you know, I feel like every day it's either a different if a different uh, anti-trans bill or a different um, bill that has to do with voting that is coming out that that truly just affects all of us so much. Um, I, I know a question that I have for you is why why do you think that conservatives are so fixated on focusing their attacks? Like it was gay marriage and now it's more towards trans folks specifically. Why? why I, I feel like it just doesn't make sense to me. I specifically, why, why, why the focus? Like they didn't have a problem with us before. So why now? Well, I mean, I think there is this long, I mean, I think if you look at the project of the United States, what you can see over and over these efforts to regulate and control the family and in sexuality. And that is like, a, you know, and, and that's one of the ways in which, you know, systems of white supremacy have taken hold through regulation, uh, sort of Eurocentric, white, heteronormative family structure as a way to maintain power. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, you have, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, this notion that gay people were a threat, that gay people shouldn't be around children, that gay people shouldn't be in locker rooms, that gay people shouldn't play sports, that gay people shouldn't be in the military, that gay people shouldn't work in the government. All of this was a huge part of the discourse in public life for decades. And then as sort of there was increased public acceptance, which resulted in changing policies, that all of the same through lines and anti-LGBT forces were still there. And they shifted from the anti-queer discourse that was very central into this anti-trans conversation that we're that we're seeing now. And the fear is that, you know, we will expose the fragility of the sex binary and the heterosexual nuclear family because it is fragile. Yeah. Because as human beings, we are just bigger, broader, more capacious, more beautiful than that allows for. Yes, we, we are. are. That's absolutely right. 
you know what? With the Supreme Court, now in the Supreme Court, we have a a 6-3 conservative majority on the Supreme Court. Um, yet uh, yes, they, we do. <laughs> <laughs> I know, un- unfortunately. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, they affirmed, uh, affirmed federal non-discrimination with Title VII in the Civil Rights Act. Does this give you any type of hope in regards to protecting the, our trans siblings? Well, so yeah. So for, so last summer, on June 15, 2020, one of the best days of my life, we were counsel in, there were three cases at the Supreme Court. Um, the question was, you know, is it illegal to fire someone for being LGBT? And the sort of legal question was, do existing laws that prohibit sex discrimination inherently prohibit LGBTQ discrimination? And the court said yes. Now, we poured our soul into briefing that case. And it's like, you know, my baby, I have an actual child too, but this one was my other baby. Um, (laughs) But, and, and so what I will say about that decision is it was somewhat shocking. Although we had a very conservative argument that we used to try to appeal to justice Gorsuch who ultimately wrote the opinion and pretend the most miraculous thing was that it ended up being 6-3, meaning Justice Roberts joined the opinion as well, um, which is incredibly important because Justice Ginsburg also joined the opinion. And obviously, she has since, you know, sort of devastatingly died. And the court has shifted further to the right. Now, it gives me hope insofar as it was a critical decision that we will continue to use in many ways. It has allowed and will allow the Biden administration to do a lot more good than they would otherwise have been able to do had we lost that case. However, the court is much more conservative now. The cases that are going to go up before them on trans issues are going to be much harder to appeal to the conservative justices on for a number of reasons. And even though it was an incredible decision that ensures legal protections across the country for LGBTQ people in the context of housing, employment, education, credit, healthcare, even though it did all these things, the court has made it very clear that they're going to chip away at those protections through religious exemptions by saying that, you know, yes, you have them, but if it's a religious employer, if it's a religious hospital, if it's a person who has religious beliefs or moral beliefs that, you know, don't believe in your rights, then they have the right to not follow the otherwise generally applicable law that applies to everyone else. And we are now waiting. We're in the period of the, you know, the year at the end of the Supreme Court term where we're waiting for another huge decision Mm -hmm. with implications for LGBTQ rights in a case called Fulton versus City of Philadelphia that basically has to do with whether or not people or entities can be exempt from non-discrimination laws. And in that case, it involves the city of Philadelphia uh, has a non-discrimination ordinance in the provision of child welfare services. So this is government services, foster care services saying, listen, we don't allow for discrimination against LGBT people. A Catholic social services entity says we want to discriminate. It's you know central to our core religious beliefs. The question is, you know, how broad is the Supreme Court going to decide that the right, the statutory rights to protect religion and the constitutional First Amendment rights to protect religion? Like, how broad is the court going to allow those rights in order to chip away at other protections? Historically. You know, these same arguments were raised in all civil rights contexts. People saying, oh, I don't want to follow, you know, the sex protections. I don't want to follow the race protections. It's against my religion. And the court says, no, 
that doesn't work. If it's a law that's general and it applies to everyone, that does not burden your religious beliefs. We are shifting away from that. And I think what remains to be seen is how far afield from the history of balancing those things are we going with this court? And given the religious, the far right, you know, Christian orientation of this court, I think we have reason to be very concerned. And I feel like this is why we also need the Equality Act to come yes. into the just yeah yeah just pass it get rid of that filibuster honey yeah. <laughs> get rid I of mean, it. I <laughs> mean, isn't it time? <laughs> I've been waiting. <laughs> Congress hasn't done anything for like a century at this point. Right, like... right, exactly. Um, it, it's 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 so important, and you know, I the thing that I also love about you is that you are constantly on social media, and you are constantly you are constantly giving everyone the fourth one one on what is happening, and it truly thank you, thank you for doing it because it's so hard for so many people to know what is going on because there is so much information and you truly break it down and I am so grateful for it. I actually, I personally, um, I, during the pandemic, I had an online party called Unfiltered where we would give all the proceeds that we made to a certain organization. And because of you, I found the Trans Justice Funding Project. Yes. Um, yeah, which is so wonderful. And we ended up raising um, about $1,700 for them. And it was, you know, I, I, I and I want to know, um, what is the most important thing that someone can do in this year or next year to support, uh, to just to, to support you to support the a aclu to support um all, all these things that are going on Be i know that in texas the, i mean people came through in texas they did. Uh, this um and it was because of texas equality and and because of the aclu of texas and they really took a stance now what for listeners people who are listening what can people do well so you know first i think it's important to remember that as any individual, like you may feel overwhelmed with the information that, oh, I don't understand this, or I don't, I couldn't possibly, you know, fully comprehend all that's going on. And the reason we feel like that is because the system is designed to make us feel like that. You yeah. know, we are deliberately not given information. I was a lawyer for four years before I understood how state government worked. That is unbelievable to me. We shouldn't, we should have an understanding of how our government works. Our government officials work for us. They should, you know, we should know they're, you know, we are their bosses. Um, so I think first and foremost, like people like really just empowering themselves to get more information and realize that the feeling of helplessness, the feeling of being disempowered by a lack of information is a feeling that you're not alone in, that, you know, everyone is feeling, even people like me who have, are so overeducated in a formal education sense, who should like, you know, through my education, I've learned some of this, like going to law school, for example, and yet no, you know, and it's cons it's a constant process of learning. And so I think one thing that people can do is empower themselves to go find out information, whether that's mean asking questions. You know, I, I I think one of the things I hate about law is there's this sense of like, oh, you know, we're going to we're going to try to make people feel stupid if they don't understand things. Of course, no. You nobody's nobody's going to understand things. I don't understand things. You know, and it's like you know, it's sort of in it, it, bringing forth our curiosity. I think, you know, is something everyone can do. Like let's be curious about things and what's what's going on, how to learn. So so there's that. 
And then I think that in that process, we start to understand, well, what's happening where I live? Especially this past year, 34 states introduced anti-trans bills. That's most of the country. Um, so it's very likely that you that anyone lives in a state where this is happening. And in the states where terrible things aren't happening, maybe there's some good things happening. And that you can get involved, whether it's at a local level, like what's going on in your city council, what's going on at your school board, what's going on in your state government, like not just focusing on presidential elections and Congress. And one thing I will say, is that one of the reasons why this was such a bad year in state legislatures is because we were so focused in 2020 on congressional elections and on the presidential election. We did not focus on the down ballot, so the, lo the state uh, and local elections, and they went horribly. They went horribly. State governments got more conservative. You know, more governors got more conservative, and that has a huge impact. Most of the laws that impact our lives are state laws. Um, so yes, Congress, but Congress is, you know, Congress is barely doing anything. They have the filibuster in the Senate, nothing's happening in Congress. Yeah. Lots is happening in your state. And so trying to figure out like, well, how can I engage in those conversations? So I think that's the next thing. And then, of course, there's all the ways we can invest in trans leadership, invest in queer leadership and say, you know, what are the organizations near me that I can support? And maybe that's supporting through money. Maybe that's supporting through a skill you have. Um, maybe that's supporting by just, you know, driving someone somewhere. You know, we all have different yeah. types of resources and showing up with the resources that we have, whether those are financial, whether those are emotional, whether those are skill-based. I think that's really important. Um, and then donate, you know, for, for people who do have the ability to donate or throw parties or do whatever that raises money, sell art, you know, have a reading, whatever, that they're, you know, look for the trans-led organizations. And, you know, I think Trans Justice Funding Project is great because you can donate to them and they find trans-led organizations to give their mo the money to, or they keep lists of trans-led organizations and you can go find them on their website. Um, so that I think that's another way to say, well, who's doing this work in my state? Yeah. And then I will always say like, donate to the bail funds, donate to people's surgery funders. I mean, it's a tragedy. Nobody should have to be raising money for their healthcare like this, but if they are, donate to it. Yeah, I think that's really important. Of course, of course. You know, I'm so I'm so happy that you said that because, you know, the reason why I started this is because I I was overwhelmed. You know, in high school I didn't really pay attention to to Paul to anything that was going on in history class. I was like, okay, let me just get through this. And now that it's um directly affecting us as a community, I'm and as I, obviously getting older, I'm realizing that it is so important. And there's so much that I don't know that I'm overwhelmed a little bit with. And so having people like you on coming to say that to us, to saying that it's okay, it's okay if you don't know, but also like we're we're, we're doing the research and trying to get the good word out there. Thank thank you, thank you so much. Um, and I I and, you know I and I'm sure that there's a lot of people who are fans of Drag Race and who are even drag queens that are listening to this and you know do what i do I literally use that skill honey and go twirl for the people and get those tips and put it towards the trans justice funding projects like it's 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 something that you know how to do and your money will go to good use um so thank you chase so much for thank really you. sitting down with me and, and and giving people the hot tea about what they need to pay attention to about what's going on in our community and hopefully um all all these we will fight all these bills exactly and i think yeah it's you know raise the money get the tips and if you need those tips if you need that money for yourself then have your show and just say something at the beginning or tell people a website to look at like there's lots of ways that we can show up and help people learn and be part of the conversation because we're in it together.
That's right. Educate the people. Honey, thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to You Brita Vote. I'm so honored to be here with the one and only Chase Strangio. Um, Truly, without people like you, we would not be making the advances that we are in our community today. And I'm so grateful that I've been given this platform to give you this platform to speak the good word, honey. A huge thank you to my special guest, Chase Strangio, everyone at World of Wonder who made this happen and drag out the vote. You know, I'm going to end this episode as I do every episode to let everyone know that we need to look out for each other. If you see something happening, baby, say something. Step in and say something. Black lives matter. Black trans lives matter. Stop Asian hate. And lastly, make sure you are making your voice heard because it matters. It truly does matter. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the You Brita Vote podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And listen to all of the podcasts that are part of the WOW Podcast Network. Till next time, remember, I'm a vote. So you Brita Vote, okay? <laughs> Turn these in. <laughs> Wait, where's my sticker? I got a free pin though. You pretty fun.